You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Glory Day Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. Thanks for joining in. For more information about Glory Day and next steps you can take with us, check out gdlc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston. In every genuine revival in history, there's been two major thrusts that always appeared. First, there's been a proclamation of Scripture, and then there's been a mobilization of God's people. You know, down through the centuries, God's people have gone through cycles where his word has been neglected, and the spiritual condition of his people deteriorate. What's amazing to me, in a broken world, when things like feel so out of place, God in his grace sends Renewal. And I got to tell you, I think we're about to do. We see this in the Old Testament, where Judah and Israel languished under godless reigns of, 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 of godly and ungodly kings. And then when, when God's law was found, and Josiah called the nation to repentance, revival ensued because God's people obeyed his word. A little over 500 years ago, same thing happened during the Reformation when that was at the heart was the revival of God's word. Scriptures were neglected. Priests were the only ones who had access to it, and God's people had walked away from the truths of, of Scripture. And they had totally messed up God's grace. And God's word took hold of the lives of several individuals. The Bible came in the hands of his people and a new freedom of God's grace and truth spread throughout all of Europe. Men like Martin Luther, and then you have Calvin, you go on even further, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, the great Puritan revivals of the 16th and 17th centuries. Billy Graham. And so as we end today on the study of the book of Nehemiah, there's an incredible Revival that's about ready to take place and tucked away in chapter 8 and of all the places at Watergate. Some of y'all will get that. I'd love for you to open up your scriptures to Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you're using the Bibles in front of you, we're on page 800, or 403. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It's helpful to know at this time, there was a spiritual vacuum in the city. The wall reconstruction project has been completed, the people moved into their own dwellings. And according to chapter 7, there was this detailed organizational structure. People are now well-ordered, well-defended, and well-governed. But in this community... Even though some of his residents had nice homes and good jobs and were well protected, there was something missing. And Nehemiah sensed the spiritual vacuum as well. And the timeless truth emerges from all of this. It's not, it's not enough to have a well-organized construction, superstructure on the inside. 
You see, Glory Day, we can have the best systems, we can have the best organizational structures, we can have incredible leadership, we can have these amazing operations. But if our foundation is not built on Jesus Christ and his word, we are literally building on sinking sand. And so I love how God works through people. You know, Nehemiah did his thing with the wall so Ezra could bring the truth to God's people. Look at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. You see, out of this time, Nehemiah had been in the forefront, a gifted administrator who could organize and mobilize people to get the wall built. But when it came time to teach the word, Ezra took a, I mean, Nehemiah took a back seat to Ezra, who was skilled in the law of Moses, who had set his heart to study it, to, to practice it, to teach it. And what I see happening right before our very eyes are two men who wonderfully illustrate, beautifully illustrate the principle of team ministry and how the body of Christ works together. I know y'all might find this hard to believe, but there's a lot of things I'm not really good at. And my kids are going, what? Mind blown. But God has assembled an incredible group of people around me staff that puts together amazing worship, small group ministry, care, and outreach into our community so that the body of Christ continues to not only grow within but beyond. And it's how the body of Christ comes together um, using that language of Romans and 1 Corinthians to talk about that we all need each other. And I see right here in Scripture how Nehemiah backed up and let Ezra now take lead. And I pray that under my leadership here at Gloria Day, you'll see that happening more and more and more. Chapter 8, verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the, the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. You see, the scriptures were opened. And they were boldly proclaimed. He took God's word, opened it up, so they could all understand what they had heard. You see, the same thing happened in the book of Acts, that first, that first time of Pentecost, following 3,000 people came to faith. Peter preached this incredible sermon. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent to be baptized, every one of you. And then What? If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And because of that, look at verse 33, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through whom? The apostles. Verse 3, and Ezra read it, from, read it from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attended to the book of law. 
And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of Bible teachers. Yeah, you saw that, didn't you? <laughs> I am not going to even attempt to say those names. <laughs> Here's what's taking place. The Bible's read. God's word is proclaimed. This wasn't the opinion of Ezra or Nehemiah, but they literally went to the truth and the heart of God's word. This wasn't some interpretation or some opinion or some top, top ten steps on how to do this. It was the word of God. Verse 5, and Ezra, he opened the book in the sight of all people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it up for the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What's going on here? The people are listening intently to what's being proclaimed. You see, the people in this text were not only attentive, but they were reverent when God's word was read to them. Verse three mentions their attentiveness, verses five and six show the reverence. They stood up as if they were greeting a royal visitor and they bowed down in worship when God's word was read. They weren't actually worshiping the scroll that Ezra held in his hand, but rather the God who had given those words through Moses and from Moses to them. It was a moment of holy awe. I want you all to think about that for a second. That's God's word to us and for us. You see, I believe there's a tendency for us to forget or take for granted the freedoms that we have to study this word. I love what Ms. Blackley did this morning with a study of scripture. Maybe you didn't see it, is that every time she thumbed through the page of scripture, the, something new appeared. But I think we as a country have really started taking a lot of this stuff for granted. And I wonder, I just wonder if the Russian invasion of Ukraine will have an impact on the way we view our freedoms and liberties as a people of the United States and the importance of God's word. Because if we believe that God's word is true, and it's his word to us. Why would we not want to treat it with full attention? I get it. We live with so many distractions in our lives and competing resources for our time. And I get it. I can be boring at times also. Maybe something I'm saying in this message doesn't apply directly to you. You're ready to tune me out. You know what you can do? Rather than tune me out, you can focus dig down deeper in Scripture and see what God's Word is saying directly to you. So what is God's Word saying to you in this text? And then ask yourself the question, what are you going to do about it? And as you're going to do something about it, who are you going to tell what you're going to do so they can hold you accountable? And they can help you out, support you in the process. Let me put a plug in for this. Next Sunday... March 6th, we're starting a 40-day challenge of getting into God's Word. 
As you leave today, you'll get a map of where everything's happening, but you'll also get a, a reading schedule of how we're going to do this together as a congregation. There's been some confusion. Just hear this word, March 6th, everything begins, including the introduction of this book. So you'll have the schedule, you're ready to go. Sermon introduction will start next week. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I want you to go outside and see that uh, bean uh, display and talk to Stephanie Kinney, who's our small group leader and coordinator, and learn more about how you can be a part of this study, whether it's in a small group or individually. I'll jump back into Nehemiah, verse 7. You look at verse 7. And you see a bunch of other guys. <laughs> yeah, they're laughing at me back here in the choir. <laughs> they can see the cheater screen back there, and they can see how the names are supposed to be said. <laughs> These small group leaders. Ah, <laughs> uh, you see what I did right there? These Sunday morning discipleship hour leaders. These spiritual leaders in their homes helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. You see, these teachers took the reading of scripture and then gave it further clarity. I'm assuming that Ezra would read a section, then his assistants, perhaps in smaller groups, would expound on that section to make the meaning clear to all the people. It does sound like a small group, does it not? Does it sound like an opportunity for us to take what's said in the message on a particular Sunday and then dig down deeper into it? But why do they need to translate for them? Why do they need to help them understand Scripture? Well, because remember, they are Jews by birth, but not by tongue or culture. And they're reading stuff from, from Moses, and, and they, were, they, were, they were interpreting as a Hebrew through Babylonian ears. And there could have been this communication breakdown. There could have been some folks who were more learned and some who felt, but you know what? It didn't matter. What he wanted to do is take the people where they were that they might take a step. Gloria Day, y'all got to hear this. Not everybody here at Gloria Day is a Bible scholar. I would say a majority of people here at Gloria Day are not Bible scholars. And so many times we get scared about God's word because I don't know enough about that as much as that person does or that person does or, or I can't teach that. I don't care. Man, open up God's word. Start studying it, reading it, and find out for somebody else if you don't understand it. I got to tell you, there are so many people here at Gloria Day who just love the fact that someone kind of them said, I don't understand this. Would you help me articulate it or better understand it? Oh, my. I'm telling you, that is music to our ears. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught all the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep. 
Why they say that? For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why were they crying? So the first time, as Paul writes, I didn't understand what sin was until I was convicted by the word of the law. And so here they have for the first time a reading from Scripture, and they realize that what they were doing was sinful. Let me tell you what's so powerful about this passage right here. I, I, I pray you never experience Gloria Day where all we're going to tell you is a feel-good gospel. Because if all you hear is feel-good stuff, there's no need for Jesus. If we don't realize how sinful we are, why do I need a Savior? And so I pray through every message, every worship, you're going to hear what's called the law and the gospel. The law tells us our sin, and it breaks us down. It tells us what you're doing is wrong. You know, sometimes people come out of a sermon and they'll say, man, I didn't like what he said. I remember my very first church, Miss Eleanor Mitchell. Someone was just having roasted pastor for lunch at, at, at you know, the restaurant. And talking about how bad that message was and how terrible, I can't believe he said that. And she just did one thing. She goes, if the shoe fits, you ought to wear it. I love Miss Eleanor. The people were broken and they were cut to the heart and they were weeping. They were like, oh my, what can we do to be saved? And that's what's so amazing about God's grace. I pray that you will hear that and you will know it and you will live it. I love what Vicar Steve said. If there was only one person on this earth, Jesus would die for you. You see, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our wretchedness, we could never attain salvation. And then God in his grace and mercy that's why I called amazing. He said, I'm going to take all the wrath and all the punishment that these people deserve and I'll lay it on my son, Jesus. And as he dies, the punishment is paid. And as he rose victoriously, it signaled life and victory over sin, death, and the evil one. And so we don't have to relish in our sins. We don't have to live in like, woe is me. We have to say, wow is me. God's grace is powerful. This is who I am pre-Christ. This is who I am now in Christ. And it's going to affect everything I do. I don't want anybody here today be living in guilt and fear and shame over something you've done in the past. There is not a thing you have done that God can't forgive. I want you to hear that loud and clear. Not one single thing. God's grace is that powerful. And I want you to live in his grace and his mercy and the identity as a forgiven child of God. And then you hear in verse 10. Nehemiah said, go your way. Eat the fat. Now, okay, that sounds gross, but that's like the really good portions. You know, that's like moist and lean brisket. Eat the moist part, y'all. You know, we've got to texanize this a little bit, right? 
and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And then look at this, and do not be grieved. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Glory Dame, we can live in the joy of the Lord being our strength because we, as going through deep trials individually, Satan seeks to deceive us that God doesn't care and that we're full of shame or guilt or fear. And it's really easy to quit reading our Bibles if we don't like what it says. But it's especially important that at these times when we're struggling, when we're down in the dumps, when life is all discouraged and we're struggling with how we're going to make it, that you dig in and devour God's Word. To take up the sword of the Spirit and read, mark, and inwardly digest it so that you be reassured of God's grace, to be reassured of his protection, to hear him say to you 366 times, fear not, to fight the good fight of faith, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith, to run with perseverance the race laid out for us, to give us perspective, to bring us peace. Why? The joy but the Lord is our strength. And then Nehemiah finishes up in 11 and 12, and he says, so Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And then in verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing, and day by day, from the first day to the last, he read the book of the law of God. And they kept this feast how long? They, they partied for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly, according to the rule. So y'all, we're here in the word of God together, we're worshiping together, and guess what we're gonna go do? We're gonna have a party. We're going to have some chili, we're going to have some cornbread, we're going to have a lot of fun. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'll leave you with this, it's from Philippians chapter 4, you've heard it before, I'll say it again. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonless be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Band, come on up. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why? The joy of the Lord is my strength. To God alone be the glory. Thanks for joining us. We hope God used this time to turn your heart more towards Him. Be sure to check out Glory Day online at gdlc.org for next steps you can take. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston as we help more people live life with Jesus every day.